Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. In just a bit, we'll talk with WBEZ reporter Chip Mitchell about the newly released report from the Inspector General on the shooting of Laquan McDonald and Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson's ties to the narrative that the shooting was justified. Ten days later, Johnson got to see the now infamous dash cam video of the shooting, and Johnson admits that he did not voice objections in that meeting to the narrative that had been established that Van Dyke's use of deadly force against Laquan McDonald, the 16 shots, that it was justified. But first, Chicago teachers are gearing up for a possible strike, which would begin this Thursday. Yesterday, the CTU was joined by the Service Employees International Union, who are also in negotiations for their own contract, at a rally in March downtown. WBEZ's Sarah Cart was at the rally yesterday. Sarah, tell us who was there and, and what you saw. A lot of teachers and a lot of those workers that are part of the SEIU, Local 73, the Park District workers, the other school staff. And so there was really a sea of red and purple shirts um, packed into the Chicago Temple. All the way out into the street, there were there were people. So there's a ton of people down there. Any notable moments stand out for you? There's a lot of fiery speeches, which, mm. I mean, rallies, you would guess that would happen. The president of the American Federation of Teachers, Randy Weingarten, was there. She's kind of a lauded member of the labor movement. Um, Mary Henry, the head of SEIU International, was there. But one of the most fiery and pointed speeches was from um, Dan Montgomery, who's the head of the Illinois Federation of Teachers. Listen to him here. If you go to the suburbs, every city around the city of Chicago, they've got children in classes with 20, with 22, with 18, with 25. None of them have 43 because they've got it in their contract. So Montgomery is speaking to one of the CTU's big demands, and that's that they get lower class size caps in the contract. And right now they do have class size guidelines, but the union says those are too high. And they also say there's no way for them to enforce them. So they can't grievance like a class size. So those are some of the things that they want. So class size is one of the things on the table. What are some of the other demands the union is asking for? The other thing that we've heard a lot about in this contract fight is the need for more staff. And what they want is more social workers. They want a nurse in every school, a librarian in every school. They want things like restorative justice counselors who can work instead of suspending or expelling kids. They can work with kids on reforming their behavior. A lot of those people. So that's something that the, the CTU is really pushing for. But you know, and less sort of talked about, there's a lot of bread and butter issues that, that the union is pushing for. At the moment, they have uh, asked for a five-year contract, a three-year contract with 5% raises each year. And then there's also like a, a lot of like health care issues where they want their co-pays to be lowered. So there are a lot of those little, they're not little issues, but they're, they're, they've not been as, as made a biggest splash in this contract fight. Well, the big question with the union proposing a strike for Thursday is where do the where do the negotiations stand? Has any progress been made? Yes. On Saturday, we did hear that there was, for the first time in many weeks, that there was progress made, that there were some proposals going back and forth. There were productive discussions. Just this morning, 
Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Janice Jackson put out a statement. Janice Jackson is the head of the school system saying that they are willing to put class size caps or class sizes and more staffing into the contract. These are two things that they've been very resistant to. So that seems like progress. And now the big question is, what are they going to put in writing? What are they going to hand to the CTU? Will that be acceptable to the CTU? Can they work out a deal? Well, just two days away from the strike, what are the chances of a deal actually getting done that quickly? Well, hope springs eternal. <laughs> so Jesse Sharkey, who's the head of the CTU, said yesterday that the window is narrowing to get a deal done. As I said, there's just a lot of issues on the table, and they've really just started making progress on Saturday. Really, they want to have something, a summary of all the CPS's offers by this afternoon, by this evening, because on Wednesday, they're going to call a delegates meeting, the union will, and they want to be able to talk about what the offers are on the table so that they can ask their members, do you want to accept this or do you want to reject this? So really, time is very, very short. And what position does that put Mayor Lightfoot in, especially when you have these unions sort of joining forces? It puts her in kind of a, an unenviable position to have to face all these unions, especially because they have probably, you know, different issues. I do think that whatever the Chicago Teachers Union settles on, the school support staff can be pretty much in line with that as long as they get the same thing. And I think that's what what's been offered to them. But with the Park District, you know, it sounds like they have a lot of different issues and some that are really pretty big. So... I think that right now she's probably trying to decide what she needs to offer in order not to have a strike. But I don't know if even she knows. If the unions strike on Thursday, what's the city's plan? They're going to have schools open. So that's a big thing. Like, where do we take our kids? So they say that all schools will be open. Principals will be there. Other administrators will be there. They're also going to serve breakfast and lunch, which they always do. They're also going to say that libraries are open. um, So People can bring their children there. Not having park districts open is a big deal, though, because, you know, I think a lot of parents who bring their kids to park districts for, like, summer camp or after school feel very comfortable with the park districts and might not feel that comfortable bringing their child to a school that only has, like, all principal or two or three adults in the building. But parents are making do. Community organizations are reaching out. Some uh, organizations are seeing this as a little way to make money, and they're offering little camps for strike days. So that's happening, too. All right. That's WBEZ education reporter Sarah Karp. Sarah, thanks. Thank you. And I want to bring another voice into this conversation. Joining me on the line is Diane Palmer, president of SEIU Local 73. Diane, welcome to Reset. Thank you very much. So most of the attention right now is focused on the CTU's contract, but the SEIU, of course, you're also in negotiations. How are those negotiations going? You know, we're moving along in the negotiations. We're actually here at the table right now. And so we are making some progress. What are your key demands and and what has the city offered? What we're looking for is a fair contract for our members. We are standing united for the good jobs that our city needs and the great schools and parks that Chicago's children deserve. We're fighting so that bus aides don't have to work two or three jobs in order to survive. We're fighting so that custodians don't have to live paycheck to paycheck. We're fighting so that classroom assistants can give the training that they need to give without being pulled in several different directions during their school days. So it sounds like specifically there are some salary concerns for you. Other issues that you're concerned about? 
Well, we're concerned about the health care, that folks get equal pay and benefits and health care, and they have economic justice. So we're fighting so that the health care of park workers is affordable and accessible and that the amounts don't double. What would it take at this point to avert a strike? Well, it would take the city taking our members seriously and trying to meet them on some of the demands that they have. It's just been too long that people that are required to live in the city and support the city's schools and parks are being overlooked. And we need them to understand that these are really uh, important positions for the city. Why did you decide to partner with CTU and and Park District employees and sort of make this collective action to potentially strike on Thursday? Well, listen, we're a union. Um, We work in the same places that the CTU workers work. We're fighting for the same thing, stronger schools, a good quality education for the students there. And it was only a natural fit that we uh, work in unity. That's what unions are all about, is standing up and standing together so that we are able to have a collective voice rather than just one person uh, trying to make changes. How do you feel the the demands you have uh, for your contract, increased salary, um, improved benefits, how does that help students? You have people working with the students who are uh, not concerned about their own well-being inside of their own home, that they're coming to work rested. You know, like when you work two or three jobs, you're not totally focused on any one of those jobs because you have so many things confronting you. And so that helps the students when when um, instructors and folks that help them with their education and bus aids are well rested when they come to the school and ready to focus totally on the students. So that makes a, a big difference. So next steps for SEIU at this point? Next steps is that we're doing everything we can to come to an agreement with the city. We are working very hard, and we're committed to that. But if that doesn't happen, we'll have to do something else because our members cannot continue on the path that they've been on. Uh, Living in the city of Chicago is quite expensive. Trying to make ends meet and working full days of which sometimes you don't get paid. If you're a bus aide, you start in the morning, you get a unpaid break for four or five hours, and you go back in the afternoon in the Midwest where climbing is a, a, you know, a situation for them, getting back and forth in this very busy city is a situation. And you know, like I believe that the city needs to pay attention to those things. Diane, how hopeful are you at this point that you'll be able to reach a deal before Thursday? I am actually here. I stepped out of negotiations to have this call. We are really trying everything within our collective power to make sure that we get an agreement today. We want an agreement, but if we don't get that agreement, uh, we are prepared to strike. That's Diane Palmer, president of SEIU Local 73. Diane, thanks for stepping out of your meeting and and speaking with us. Okay, you're welcome. Bye-bye. I want to turn back to WBEZ education reporter Sarah Karp. Sarah, I, I want to talk about what we heard there because what Diane is describing is something that we also heard from CTU, which is about the livability of the city for people who are employed by the public schools or in this case, you know, by the park district or, you know, support staff at the schools. How much can that really be tackled in a contract? According to Mayor Lightfoot, that shouldn't be tackled in a contract. I mean, there is an ask for affordable housing for teachers. And really what they're asking is that there's a program, I guess, that city and fire department um, employees 
can get where they get like a some money towards a down payment and some help, you know, to afford a home in the city of Chicago. And I guess that's not available to city teachers. So, well, they, you know, under the broad umbrella of affordable housing sounds like, well, how can you tackle that in a contract? That is a very specific ask that the union has on the table. And I don't think that they've got an agreement from uh, Lori Lightfoot, at least as, since last night. You know, some of these things can be tackled in a contract, but, you know, that's sort of like this bigger issue of this city, you know, has a lot of neighborhoods where rents are very, very high and living, you know, on what, what some people are making, which is like 13 14 $15 an hour is, is just very difficult. And and if you're going to require people to live in the city, I think that that is an issue that, that people have to talk about. That's WBEZ education reporter Sarah Karp. Sarah, thank you. Thank you. This Sunday will mark five years since Chicago police officer Jason Van Dyke shot and killed teenager Laquan McDonald. Now, when Mayor Lightfoot was campaigning for the job, she promised that the city would release thousands of pages of records related to the shooting. Last week, she kept that promise. A report from Joe Ferguson, the city's inspector general, includes unsettling details about the steps the department took to control the narrative that the McDonald shooting was justified and police superintendent Eddie Johnson's ties to that narrative. WBEZ's Chip Mitchell has been following the story and explains exactly what's in the report. These reports from the inspector general's office, they cover all 16 officers he recommended for discipline, and that includes 11 he recommended for dismissal, for firing in the alleged cover-up. So with all those supporting documents, it totals thousands of pages. And Jen, the basic story was that the officers who witnessed the shooting and the bosses back at the station, the people who showed up after the shooting, who approved the reports, uh, they exaggerated the threat that Laquan McDonald posed. Some of those reports said McDonald attacked Van Dyke and his partner, even that he injured them. And those things were contradicted, of course, by the video that the city kept hidden for more than a year after the shooting. Now, we knew a lot of that before the release of these records, but there were a lot of fresh details. So, for example, we learned that it was a patrol sergeant who arrived on the scene after the shooting who allegedly instructed one of the officers who witnessed the shooting to fill out the reports that eventually got that officer charged criminally. And we learned about a detective lieutenant in the official CPD investigation of the shooting who rewrote reports of some officers. This is months afterwards because someone allegedly had spilled coffee on the originals. And so he rewrote their reports without their knowledge. You've been looking through these thousands of pages of records, and I'm curious what you what you take away from it and, and what you take away from the fact that three officers were, were charged with conspiracy in this case and, and all three were acquitted. Well, Jen, when you read these records, um, especially the interview transcripts, the interviews that um, investigators at the inspector general's office conducted with a lot of the officers involved, It doesn't take long for aggressive questioning to blow big holes in their justifications about, one, the shooting, and two, about their own role in the alleged cover-up. And it's really something that the police department and the city agency responsible for looking at police shootings, it's now called COPA, that they had not been doing that sort of questioning. Um, And it took an outside entity that doesn't normally look into shootings, the inspector general's office, to come in and expose what was evident to many Chicagoans just by watching the dash cam video that the police reports about Laquan McDonald's shootings were 
not true. Well, Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson was a deputy patrol chief at the time. This is back in the fall of 2014. And the inspector general did not recommend discipline for him. But the records released last week include some information about Superintendent now Eddie Johnson's Mm -hmm. role. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, when the shooting took place, Johnson was a deputy chief of patrol. Um, So he was a higher up in the department. Right after the, after the shooting, he assigned another deputy chief. So this is that night. This is minutes. This is the initial department response. He was uh, assigned another deputy chief. His name's David McNaughton to take command of the scene. So McNaughton goes to the scene on the south side, and um, he ended up providing a statement there for the news media that claimed that McDonald, and this is a quote, continued to approach Van Dyke and his patrol partner just before the shooting. So this is when the public first started to see this narrative that it was McDonald who had been attacking Van Dyke, not the other way around. And McNaughton then eventually the next morning signed off on reports that established the narrative that McDonald had attacked the two officers, even injured them. About 10 days later, Johnson got to see the now infamous dash cam video of the shooting as part of a formal review by CPD of the incident. And Johnson admits that he did not voice objections in that meeting to the narrative that had been established that Van Dyke's use of deadly force against Laquan McDonald, the 16 shots, that it was justified. How was that information landed with the mayor and city council? Well, when these reports were released on Thursday and we recapped what we could tell of of Johnson's role from these records. Um, some of the information years ago um, had been reported by the Chicago Tribune um, when they, they got access to some of these records, uh, kept them hidden from the public for years afterwards. This material comes out. There's reporting about it. And some aldermen voice concerns. So Chris Taliaferro, he himself is a former police officer. He is now Lori Lightfoot, the mayor's handpicked alderman to chair the public safety committee. So that's a key position related to the police department. He said he was, you know, concerned to the point that he wants to call Eddie Johnson and Joe Ferguson, the the inspector general, for a public hearing. Mm-hmm. And he was quoted in, in the newspaper saying, I think if there's an, a, any error on it, it is their silence on it. So he's talking about Eddie Johnson um, remaining silence when, he, when he's in this meeting with the higher ups and when he had saw the video and he had a chance to say something. Apparently, he, he denies it uh, and, and did not. And we should say that Superintendent Johnson was clearly feeling some pressure over the weekend. He held a news conference with members of the Black Caucus. Let's listen. At that time, I was a senior member of the department, but I was not involved in any superintendent-level decisions on discipline following uses of force. Nor was I in a position to receive investigative updates from IPRA or Internal Affairs on any officer-involved incident. So generally, my role and the role of current deputy chiefs at these preliminary reviews was to assist in the facilitation of any training or equipment audits mandated by the superintendent for officers and supervisors that were under my particular command. So to be clear, I never thought and I never said the shooting of Laquan McDonald was justified. That's Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson speaking at a press conference on Saturday, responding to the release of a report from the IG's office looking at what happened in the days following the shooting of Chicago teen Laquan McDonald. Bringing us analysis of the Inspector General's report is WBEZ criminal justice reporter Chip Mitchell. Chip, talk about what we we just heard there. Yeah, well, he says he never said the shooting of Laquan McDonald was justified. 
This is back in 2014, about 10 days after the shooting, when he and other members of the command staff of CPD watched the video in a meeting. What he does not say uh, is that he ever voiced any objections to the CPD narrative that the shooting was justified. So he admits that he didn't say anything about, uh, he didn't say that, you know, look, this this is a bad shooting. He admits that. This wasn't the first time uh, Superintendent Johnson has faced questions about his role in this shooting and the alleged cover-up, but he still feels compelled to hold this press conference. What kind of pressure do you think he's feeling right now? Well, it looks like Superintendent Johnson is worried about keeping his job and that he wants to keep it. Um, He was appointed by former Mayor Rahm Emanuel during the political crisis following the release of the videotape. And this is in early 2016. And this is also a time when shootings and gun violence in the city are, are soaring to historic levels. So Uh, Lori Lightfoot's arrival, this is three years later, uh, it may yet be a time to change CPD's leadership. You know, since she took office, it's been not clear ever that she plans to stick with Johnson over the long haul. Uh, She's got a lot of stuff to consider. Crime has been falling on his watch. On the other hand, there have been some failures by Johnson, uh, one that we reported extensively on this summer. Johnson oversaw an expansion of the police department by more than 1,200 officers. And when he needed the money to, uh, the alderman to approve the money for that plan, he built it as a diversity plan. We're going to make um, CPD a model of diversity. You know, I, people are always telling me they want police officers to look more like them. This is in, the, in neighborhoods that are suffering from most of the violence. And when that expansion was done, we looked at all the numbers and we found that the police department actually looks less like the communities affected by, by violence. It's actually less African-American. Um, there's other questions. You know, is Superintendent Johnson the right leader to oversee all of the police reforms that are required by the consent decree? Their first set of deadlines, they blew the deadlines. So he's under a lot of pressure right now. And really, the ball is in the Mary Lori Lightfoot's court. Um, she has not ever made a full-throated statement that she wants to stick with Eddie Johnson in the long haul. We'll see what happens. All right. That's WBEZ criminal justice reporter Chip Mitchell. Chip, thanks. My pleasure. And that's today's Reset. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and let's talk again soon. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.